Oh yeah, I like the sound of that, and I know that you're gonna like the sound of it too. This is The Manny Wolf Show, where I pull no punches, I don't hold back in my conversations with some of the most interesting minds on the planet. So, put us in your ear, turn the volume up, and hang on for another episode. StreamYard, there you go, we're live! All right, Debbie Elder, how are you? I am fantastic, thank you Manny, thanks for having me on the show. Good to see everybody out there in virtual land. <laughs> I agree. So, um, guys, welcome to another episode of what I have been calling the Quarantine All-Stars. And uh, so you can learn from the best on house arrest. The goal of this program has been to bring you meaningful, actual, tactical, practical, useful things for this unprecedented, bizarre, and frankly, a little bit effed up kind of time we find ourselves in. Um, so I feel like to some extent I've been doing that. I feel like every single interview we've had over the last two weeks, you can take something from, and I already know Debbie. So I know that this will be no different. This is going to be really, really, um, good for those of you who have children and, and that's most of us. So one of the things that has <clears throat> really been disruptive is that most kids now have to stay home. Suddenly they're having to, you know, like, guess what? You homeschool now. <laughs> and it's weird to say the least. We have one 15 year old daughter in the house and she is, uh, I like to joke, she's every inch the 15 year old girl, meaning she she has to do TikTok dances all the time. And, you know, she's she's, and she's full of energy. She's full of enthusiasm. She's loud. She talks fast. You know, let's be realistic. It's a big change for everyone. It is. Right? Yeah. It is. So for you guys, Debbie already knows this, but Debbie runs um, Shady Oak. Is it primary or elementary? Mm -hmm. Yes, primary. primary. Yeah. She, she, she runs a school that she virtually built from the ground up herself in response to a lot of the problems and frustrations she was seeing and 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 was having with the public school system. Is that right? Is there anything I missed there? Yeah, so Manny, I had um, 15 middle and high schools for a number of years, and then I had an opportunity to work as a college planner. And there was some things that I was noticing that were missing. One of the big one was a lack of self-awareness. So here's these, you know, 16 to 18 year old kids getting ready to go off to school with $60,000 of their parents' money. And they yeah. can't even tell me when they learn best or how they study. They, there was no self-awareness. And right. so when I had the opportunity to purchase the school, initially I was like, oh, heck no. I'm used to dealing with difficult teenagers. I don't want to work with these little children. And then I right. thought about it some more and I thought, you know what, if you want to eliminate some of the difficult teenagers that you've been dealing with, maybe you should start with them very young and kind of raise them up. And so that was sort of the attitude. So I took all of my background experience and pulled it into how we set up our elementary school. We do things a lot different, but very, very successfully. So it's, it's been a, it's been a lot of fun over the last six years. That's so cool. The first thing I want to do really is uh, let me just say hi to these people who have jumped in. And by the way, for you and for everybody watching, if I'm looking down, it's just because I have to moderate some things. I'm never, ever not paying attention to you. <laughs> but, you know, at the same time, I, I want this to have the reach that the best reach it can, et cetera. So sometimes I have to do that stuff. Um, 
I want to talk about your results right up front uh, because I know them. And I kind of felt like if somebody had just told me those results and I didn't know the person, they're, they're, they're almost too good to be believed, quite frankly. So let's talk a little bit about them and let's talk a little bit then about the approach that you've developed to get to such good results. And I think that every parent sort of on, in some part of them should, does or should feel like, well, that kind of results is, is what all schools should be creating. So with that, what kind of results are you getting? Because of the way we uh, look at school, we really concentrate and embed things that aren't being taught anywhere else. There's this belief that all of the soft skills will somehow, through osmosis, um, reach into our children and they'll have them, and it just isn't true. And the best example I have is a parent who's sending their child out to play soccer would never, ever go to the first practice without kicking the ball around in the backyard, making sure their son knew or daughter that if the goal, if this is your goal, you take the ball the other way, yet we allow our children to show up in social events with no prepping and that's that's been a real problem so we yeah. embed that curriculum into what we do every day we also because we are a private school mm -hmm. and basically my clients are my parents mm -hmm. i can tell them hey your child's doing great but really a parent deserves to have an outside source determine that for them so what we do manny is at the end of the school year we use the stanford test which is a national test not just a texas test to determine where in fact our children are where do they rate we do not teach to that test we don't even let our teachers see it before it's given out we test the kids and we are showing up with children um, scoring way above grade average so and they're leaving our school at the end of fifth grade, confident, with strong self-esteem, a real understanding of where they're going. We teach a speech class and allow them to be confident in what they project and how they communicate. We allow them to have time on Friday afternoons, to, just like Google does, to create um, anything they want and in some yeah. cases sell it. So we're doing some things differently, talking about financial information with the class, making sure they understand the law of 72 and what compound interest is and some basic, basic things that are so basic people forget to talk about. So we're making sure that we've sort of very yeah. purposely and meaningfully embedded these things into our day at school. So a couple of the things that I'm hearing that frankly, I mean, I, I took um, I took a son through homeschooling. I took a kid who was, he really reminded me of me. And, and this is actually, this is a really kind of a personal gut punch story for me. Um, he, at one point, he was in regular school and he didn't like regular school at all. Plus, hey, look, guys, I brought my own baggage about regular school into the dynamic. And I think a lot of us, if we're honest, we can relate to that, right? Because a lot of us as, as parents, we had terrible school experiences. Yes. And whether you know it or not, whether you like it or not, that shades the way you treat your kid's school experience. Agreed. So I think that's important too. Um, I was quick to pull them out of school because it was breaking my heart, right? Yes. Um, but but so just to give you an idea of, of his sort of baseline level, he took... He took um, a, a national test to see where he ranked. I don't remember the test or anything, so I apologize. Where he ranked against all other kids in the United States. Okay. 
He basically snoozed his way through it with no prep and wound up like top 3% in the US. Wow. So he just blew this thing out of the water, right? And so I asked him, if you were uh, an engine, how many, an eight cylinder engine, how many, and how many cylinders were you firing on to take this test? Like how hard were you focused? He said, I was like idling. <laughs> so he's super, super smart, right? But he has, um, he's, he's introverted, he's insecure, he's, you know, he's doesn't like social interaction. So he's got these things that are, are, they're going to be at least, you know, part of his life, lifelong issues. Uh, and so I wound up homeschooling him. And because of that, I sort of, and because of my own biases and my own like really, really bad recollections of school, I kind of let him just withdraw and withdraw and withdraw only at some point to realize, wow, I, I, I kind of fucked this up, you know? Um, and so I say all that to say, you are teaching soft skills, as you call them, mm-hmm. and and things like financial common sense literacy. Um, do you find that, like, like, what kind of kids, I guess, are drawn to the school? Um, there's so many things I want to ask you about this. Like, this is a very personal topic to me. So let's start with what kind of kids do you find coming into the school? It's a really good question. And so when I do my tours with my families, I'm looking for people that are running to me, not from somewhere else. And in order to determine that, I ask one of the questions I ask that's really made a difference is what does success or what will success look like for your child? And if the parent can't articulate that for me, they're probably not a good fit for our school. So I'm looking for people that are looking for something different, who are aware Mm -hmm. enough to know that they're not getting those needs met, that do not want their child simply just getting ready to take a test and being taught to the test. We, because we don't teach to a test, we can go deep into a subject if there's interest, right? And we also have a lot of voice and choice. So we let our students, for example, it's a funny story. I homeschool my daughters also, and my youngest is hearing impaired. So when I pulled them out of school for the next three years, they were to study in Texas, Texas history. And I'm like, huh, we're Canadian. I think we know enough about Texas history. And I said, what do you guys want to learn? And they came up with, they wanted to learn about the middle the medieval ages. And I'm like, perfect. So we studied that and they were engaged. And I saw just the light bulbs go on. And as deep as we were able to go into that subject, somewhere along the way, even if a child wasn't interested and we're finding that in school, we just did a big unit on ancient Egypt. And a couple of the kids are like, meh, I don't really want to know about ancient Egypt. But when we got into different things about trade along the Nile, all of a sudden they were interested or some of the monuments. So when you go deep, what happens in public school, Manny, is they go very thin. There's no depth. And also, there's seven levels of knowledge. The lowest one is regurgitation, right? Is what they're doing. They're doing these multiple choice tests with a Scantron so they can save time. I get it, but Mm -hmm. that's not learning. And when you do that dump onto the paper, I ran an after school franchise and the kids would come to me the next day after we studied for a test. They couldn't even tell me what was on the test. You know, hours later. So there's, it's not sticking. And so, in order for the learning to stick, we got to go deep and we've got to be able to give them choices and to involve them in the learning. And what I didn't want for my students or my daughters was to not have a voice because I met so many children along the way who didn't have any opinion because they weren't curious because they didn't have any stake. And that drives me crazy. There's no freedom 
if you can't make a decision, right? You get stuck in indecisiveness. And uh, yeah. so we yeah. encourage and um, require our students to make decisions regularly and mm -hmm. to show up. I used to get asked all the time, and I'm sure you did too, what about socialization if you're homeschooling? Yeah. I used to travel around the country training teachers, so I was on a plane every weekend. And inevitably, somebody would sit next to me, we'd get talking, they're like, so you train teachers, I do. And I, so do your children go to school? I'm like, oh, heck no. <laughs> I know it goes on. <laughs> and the next question would be, well, what about socialization? I'd say, what about it? I think I'm much better equipped to teach my children how to socialize than their peer group. And we were at a party. Oh, okay. And one of my daughters was talking to the grandparents of the host. And another daughter was in talking with younger children. All of their peers were upstairs playing video games. Nobody was talking and they were simply waiting for their turn to get the remote. And right. so when somebody brought that up, I said, I don't know, who do you think is more socialized? And yeah. Yeah. it's one of those soft skills that we teach. I have a lot of friends, as I know you do, in corporate and I ask them, what's missing in the candidates you're trying to interview? What are the skills that they right. have? Yeah. That's what we're teaching. We're mm -hmm. that speech class to third yeah. fifth graders. So they can stand up and confidently, and oh my gosh, they're amazing speakers. Yeah. And just really giving them the confidence and the skills to think independently, to be critical thinkers. We yeah. do a lot of reflection at the end of each of our classes. So they get a chance to go, huh, that really worked for me. I really like this and here's why. Or I don't know what the heck is going on. I don't understand what I'm doing at all. In yeah. math class, they have to critique their answers. So if you get a 70 in public school, you get a 70 and move on. Right. If you get 70 with me or anything less than a 90, you need to go back and tell me what you did wrong. And you have to write a sentence out. I got this. This was the wrong answer. This was the right. wrong of operation, for example. And this is the correct answer. Do they like doing critiques? Oh, heck no. <laughs> <laughs> After they do a couple, I'm like, man, maybe I should slow down. Maybe I should check my work before I hand it in. Right. Maybe a little neater right. so my doesn't look like a five and I get something right. wrong. Yeah. And um, all of those skills are mm -hmm. so, so important. I had an opportunity in my 30s to study successful people, and I did. And they all do the same things, maybe a little differently. But I thought, huh, why don't we teach these to our children in the beginning? Why don't we teach it the right way first? Right. And that's what I did with my daughters. And that became the model for the other schools that I had an opportunity to open and run. So I um I want to share at this point that, um, do you know who Laszlo Bach is? I don't think so. So, so he was the, um, he was the VP of, uh, people resources or whatever at Google, you know, they give it a it, it, HR, <laughs> they give it a cool name and he wears sandals, but it's HR. <laughs> but Laszlo Bach was the guy who took Google from guys. You've got to stop refusing to hire anybody who's not from Stanford. Right. He was the one who opened it up and he was also the first one to publicly say, well, first he moved, first he moved Google away from hiring off the resume because what was happening was they were getting group think. Right. Right. It was just all Ivy League MBAs and there's no diversity of thought there. Right. And so um, he was the one who moved Google to to the extent that they actually do this, uh, to hiring for people skills, mm -hmm. hiring for the soft skills. He he was the one indirectly who um, led Google to those really, really oddball esoteric interview questions that they became famous for yes. because they are looking not for, like you can't answer how many golf balls fill a school bus. 
right? And that was one of their questions or um, there's a couple of other really great ones. What they're looking for is a thought process to try to get to an answer. And uh, let me just say hi to uh, Julie Hodges and to Jackie, Amy Nelson Earl, um, Russ Lubin. We've got Jalay Chantel, Eileen Watts, Anthony Tran, Joe Nicasio, Brian Berger, uh, Jamie Keeling. Thank you guys all for tuning in. Let me just say what you already know. If this is impactful to you, please share it. Please send us a few thumbs ups, a few hearts. You can even send uh, angry faces if you want. Uh, but, you know, this it helps it helps the algorithm to know that we're doing something here people care about. It's so easy for you and it really means a lot for us. So please give us some interaction, give us some love, share it out to your people. Um, and I knew that this conversation with Debbie was going to be uh, uh, meaty. So you said earlier that um, the assumption seemed to be that social skills and these other skills would just be somehow learned by osmosis, mm -hmm. which first of all, I completely agree with that. And, and, it's insane to me that these things aren't taught and focused on. I'm so glad that there are a wave of, uh, I guess, private and charter schools and alternative kind of approaches that are, are thinking about this stuff. Um, did you, did you approach your curriculum saying to yourself anything to the, to the, along the lines of, if we do this instead of this, this will foster these critical thinking skills. This will yes. foster. So I guess I want to reiterate how important that stuff is. Um, I am, I was going to go into organizational management and organizational behavior, and they call it different things at different schools, but for a long time. Hey, Manny here. I wanted to talk to you a little bit about the importance of growing your own personal brand and your own audience. In this day and age, if you do business on social media or on the internet in general, you need to be focused on your personal brand. And your personal brand is a function of what people say, think, and feel about you behind your back. And that's where we can come in and help you tremendously. So I'd like to invite you to go over to my website mannywolf.com where you can either schedule a call with me or my team or you can learn about the ways that we can help you to grow your audience powerfully and quickly. In this day and age content is absolutely king and if you don't have a content strategy you can't expect big results and what we do is we help you with powerful powerful content strategies. In short we can put you everywhere all the time without you doing hardly any work. Sounds kind of cool, right? If you'd like to learn more, head over to mannywolf.com and either book a call or look into one of the ways that we have already prepared to help you rapidly grow your audience, grow your trust, your authority, your personal brand, and of course, through all of those things, grow your business. All right, now back to the show. And that was my, my thrust. Um, having worked literally over a hundred jobs, you know, in my life. <laughs> and each time it was all like retail and sales and restaurant work. And each time, well, 95% of the time I would have these experiences with these small minded, angry, you know, douche, douchey little managers, right? Just little, if I could be so little shitheads. Yeah. Right. Who obviously came up through a public school. <laughs> <laughs> um, 
And so I would always focus on, you know, making customers and clients happy. Always. That was a, if I can make you smile and feel good about being here, you'll come back. Right. And in over 90% of the cases, I would not only get in trouble for that, it would be discouraged. And in some cases I was fired for being literally fired for being too helpful. Um, as I got older, it made me really want to, you know, just go, there's something wrong here. Yeah. Right. And so I began to start to study uh, education and, and organizational behavior and stuff like that. Um, <laughs> so what, what did I want to say there? Um, how do you think we got so entrenched in this study to the test kind of, I mean, this is, it's such a shallow educational philosophy, right? As you said, it's, it's superficial. Well, and I think part of it is being, you know, if you can't measure it, you can't manage it. And right. I think there's a little bit of thinking behind that. So I know for me, when I made the decision to homeschool my daughters, I started with what do I want walking out my door at 18? And I was very, very clear. And the same thing is transferred over to the school. So when I was setting up curriculum and deciding what to do, I got really clear on what I wanted walking out the door at the end of five years. The other thing that I do that's a little different is I don't know who decided that a child is going to be ready for first grade in May of their kindergarten year. What if they're ready for first grade work in February? What if they're ready in September? So we take a very fluid approach at the school. We have, I tell my parents, you give me five years with your kids, we'll get them through because sometimes they're kind of like Chinese bamboo trees. You know, you, yeah, yeah, you fertilize the yeah. tree for five years before you see anything. And then in six weeks, yeah. it's 90 feet tall. So yeah. children are kind of the same way. And when they're growing physically, they're not necessarily catching everything that's being taught to them. Mm-hmm. And so being able to individualize and not move at such a rapid pace, but to really slow down and make sure kids are getting what they need. And then the other thing that we need to be aware of is, you know, this whole, what are we teaching is important. It's 2020. I can Google the names of the presidents. Why would I make my students learn the capitals of the states? There's so many other things. I want them to be able to think critically, problem solve. We actually have a collaboration room at school where we teach them how to collaborate, where they work on projects together, where they show up with their self-awareness. They have to be able to identify and articulate what skills they bring. So if you're one of the better drawers, well, then you should draw the poster. I'm a really good writer. I'm going to write. This person over here is really good at what. And you can hear them talking about it, and they show up because they're young. They're not um, embarrassed by how awesome they are yet. And they don't hold anything back. And they learn that way. And then they connect. And that whole connection, we use, Manny, what's called the nurtured heart approach by Mm -hmm. Howard Glosser. He's out of Arizona. And it's a way to put a spotlight on the greatness of our students. I don't give any energy to what they do wrong. They know the rules. We spend the first two weeks of school only talking about expectations, team building, all of that warm, gooey stuff. There's no academics because at the end of those two weeks, the understanding is I know that you know that you know that I know that you know the rules. So we don't talk about it. <laughs> and now we just get team and you get a whole lot more done when you put the time in and lay that solid foundation. Yeah. The other thing that's really lacking is creativity. I don't. We're not seeing a whole lot of that. And where it really shows up, interestingly enough, is in the art room, right? So the the teacher goes to the front of the class. She holds up a piece of paper. Boys and girls, we're all going to draw this flower today. 
Well, I remember in third grade, my flower never looked like the teacher. So I had this really strong belief that I wasn't creative. I still right. can't draw, but I am very creative. Yeah, and yeah, so yeah, yeah. We use, um, uh, we have a tab art studio, which is teaching for artistic behavior. The mm -hmm. students come in, they are treated as an artist the minute they walk into the studio. They're taught some skills and then they go and apply that skill in any way they want. So they may be sculpting today or they may be painting or maybe they're drawing with charcoals or maybe they're crocheting or maybe they're yeah. sewing. And it allows the diversity and, oh, my gosh, the creativity that comes out. These kids are so, so smart with what they're able to. And the pride that comes with that is is immense. And all of that allows them to be better humans and um, to really have empathy and to really um respect other people for who they are and what they bring to the table and that that is really important to me we end each day with a compliment circle and what that requires of them is they need to be mindful of the greatness in everyone else because they don't know who they're going to be sitting next to in the circle they don't know what direction the circle is going to go and they don't know mrs elder might show up and make them all move seats so you might think you're sitting next to your friend and then i move you around and you have to come up with something to say. And that compliment is not, hey, I like your hair. It right. is, today I noticed on the playground, you helped someone who had tripped. And what that tells me about you is that you really care about the other students and have a heart that really speaks to that. And it's like mind blowing. And it's a great way to end the day. And as they get into their cars with their parents, they're happy and they're fulfilled. It's a little bit of a marketing strategy too. But yeah. <laughs> hey, you know what? There's nothing wrong with that, okay? <laughs> but you're speaking to being nice and being helpful. I think in this yeah. crazy, busy world, that's that's something we need to really focus on. And as parents, we need to uh, be willing to put down that cell phone and listen to our yeah. children. Mm -hmm. They have such amazing ideas and they see things a different way in that's a right. way that, you know, we don't. They have yeah. great insight. Yeah. And it seems like while the actual act of tuning into kids, and I think this is going to segue into this whole now we're all stuck at home thing. Yeah. Um, the actual act of tuning into your kids and giving them space to just be whatever is going down. It seems like this is anecdotal, I'll admit, but it does feel that way to me uh, based on a lot of the, uh, stuff I see on social media from parents. Uh -huh. Uh, but the, but the public persona of praising your kids individuality, praising, you know, so it's like, there's this parallax thing happening where, where we've all figured out it's very important to show up as though we're these sort of advocates for a kid's unique creativity until the rubber meets the road. And we actually have to can do something about it. Right. <laughs> it's it's easier to uh to seem than to be. <laughs> well, I think too it it's allowing children to have a way to, so instead of telling them how to do something, simply set expectations of when it needs to be done by. They yeah. may put their clothes away a different way than you would, but mm -hmm. get the job done. And I think part of parenting, and I've taught parenting for the last 30 years, is being very clear on what it is that you want as an end result. Unfortunately, what happens is parents, for the most part, treat each day like a brand new day. And they kind of react instead of respond. They haven't kind of set the lanes, if you will. And so they're kind of running around trying to, they didn't realize they weren't gonna like it when the two-year-old put the something in the socket until they do it and then they react, right? 
instead of responding and, and just sort of course correcting. But if you don't have a course, then everything looks like a big kerfuffle and you need, that's a very technical word. You need yeah, to yeah. fix it. For, for those so, of you not in education. <laughs> <laughs> Canadian actually. But um, yeah, being uh, willing to take some time to really think about that. I love that. What do you want walking out your door at 18? That has yeah. really allowed, because then you get the big picture and then the little decisions are super easy. Does it get me to where I want to go or not? And the other thing about um, what I'm hearing in the sort of in the buzz out there right now is a lot of our AP students in the public schools that are now home are actually loving it because they're moving at a much faster pace. That's they're what we're seeing here. Done. Yeah. Um, my daughters both graduated college two years early. Two uh -huh. years they had out in the workforce, yeah. but their friends were still in school. Right. Never mind the average college graduate takes six years to complete a four-year degree. Yeah. They We did what's called a two plus two plus two. So they two years of high school, mm -hmm. two years in junior high, right. two years before your college. Yeah. And my youngest still graduated valedictorian. So it all works. And I think yeah. it's about really setting a course that's right for your family and that's right for your child. And our children are different. Your son is very different yeah. than your daughter. And we need and to different from you. That. And different from us, exactly. With yeah. different desires, yeah. wants, and strengths. Which, which is a bitter pill to swallow for a lot of us, right? We we tend to. Yeah. Uh, I mean, really, it's it's yeah. it, uh, on one level, it's funny to say that. On another level, it's like if you really sit and, and look deeply at how much you bring your own autobiography into the choices you make for your kid. But maybe that's a whole different talk, right? Maybe that's <laughs> yanking the steering wheel and putting the tractor in the field. <laughs> I want to really get into, first, let me say hi to Amanda. And Amanda says, no, it's not, it was not an anecdotal thing that I was saying. Kids have far less space to be themselves now. Mm -hmm. um, yeah. Yeah. Thank you, Amanda. Um, now we find ourselves in this just bizarre situation where we're all, I guess, state by state, it's mandatory lockdown to uh, strongly suggested shelter in place. You know, what I'm seeing out here in California is that it's it's not mandatory. It's strongly suggested. It's it. But whatever the situation is, school has moved online almost 100 percent. Correct. Right. Um, what challenges and opportunities from your perspective do you see because of this? So when we made the move to go, we have a virtual classrooms that we're using through Zoom. We documented everything we did because I think there's going to be a model out there and there's going to be a group of people who are going to continue with this virtual classroom mm -hmm. because it is very effective. We are um, in school less right now, but accomplishing the same amount. It's crazy. And I know, you know, for being a homeschooler, mm -hmm. uh, you can get a whole lot done when it's one-on-one -on -one or one-on-three. Um, and so being able to be ready to go with that and, and our ability to go from being in the classroom to virtual literally happened overnight because I had 12 years experience in it. I was able to pivot very, very quickly. And I think there are ways to do that correctly and there's ways to not. And what we have learned is that we are not making it mandatory to stay on the Zoom call. So what we're doing and it's an elementary school, they're little, so some of them can't sit that long. They sure. come in, they get instruction, they have their work, it's either been printed and picked up or they've been emailed and printed it at home. They have what they're expected to do in front of them. If they are more 
able to work consistently offline, we're allowing them to do that, provided they're turning their work in at the end of each day. So we're monitoring it very closely, but we're allowing different personalities to work as we always have their individual way. We have flexible seating, which it's called in education. So when you walk into our school, we don't have desks. We have bean bags and we have floors and we have some tables and chairs, but it's, it's very whatever you feel like. And it's not even like you might even change where you sit for every class for a whole week. It's all over the place because mm-hmm. we have different needs at different times. And yeah. being able to address that allows the students to really concentrate. So for me, it's not about how you do it. It's that you do it and you get it into me the way it needs to be done. But your route to get there is something that they need to discover a lot of times on their own. And that's what we're trying to provide right now. So we have parents who are working at home who are so thankful that they're literally giving us their children for the morning because we got them. We've got other parents are like, "Uh, this is not working for us. There's 15 people in the house. We all need computers. We're all cutting each other out. They can be on Zoom at the instruction. They're going to be offline because somebody else needs their their tablet or their digital so yeah. we're trying to be very, um, very flexible to meet those needs. And it's funny, the parents didn't know what their needs were uh-huh. <laughs> until they realized it wasn't working or something that wasn't working. Right. And yeah. that's, again, that inability to anticipate until you're into it. So staying fluid is very important right now. And I think moving that forward, we're going to see that. I'm not a big, it's so ironic. We just did a whole series on screen time. And how we don't want our children on the screen. And yet here we are. Now, the thing is, what we know from research is playing video games is very different than educational screen time. Yeah. But it's still it's still a lot of time in front of a screen um, yeah. that we would prefer they, they weren't doing. But I think moving forward, we are going to see some kind of hybrid, maybe more university model schools where the kids are at home two days a week. And then with us three days. I don't oh, know. That's interesting. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. interesting. So. Okay, we're going to just kind of pry the top right off of this thing, Debbie. (laughs) Do you think we, there's certainly a commonly held narrative I subscribe to, I don't know, but I'm guessing you subscribe to this too, that the the format, the structure of public school is uh, turn of the century, agricultural revolution, right? Mm -hmm. It's really just to get kids used to, Watching times like start at eight, end at three, mind the bells, which is what factory work is. Yes. Right. Yes. Are you optimistic that that one of the sort of I'll call it an unexpected, an unintended uh, a positive consequence of this whole? I don't even like to say it by name. I'm so frustrated with it. This coronavirus <laughs> crap uh, might bring us is a whole restructuring of the way we think about how we're actually educating our kids. Yeah, 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 seriously. Sir Robinson, who is a renowned educational. Who, who, who? Sir Ken Robinson. Oh, he's my hero. I know, he's awesome, right? Yeah, he's, he's my hero. Yeah. He has some documentaries that are just phenomenal. Yeah. And he he's probably loving this because it is going to turn into. I've got to go and check on what his, his latest things are that he's saying about this because. Yeah. Uh, if you guys out there don't know who Sir Ken Robinson is, start with his TED Talk. His TED Talk yeah. will, will make you laugh and make you cry. It's so good. It's so good. Um, yes, yes, he's he's absolutely one of my heroes. And uh, um, I, uh, I'm actually intending that I'm going to get uh, our friend Jackie mm. to, to yeah. interview him. Awesome. 
Actually, I think you should too. Of course, I'd be happy to. Well, well I'll, I'll see what we can do. <laughs> we'll get together. We'll get them. Yeah, uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> Put you guys together is no stopping you. I actually talked um, to Jackie last night, so yeah. What's that? I actually talked to Jackie last night. Oh, good. Hi, Jackie. You made us friends. Thank you, <laughs> So I... I do think there are going to be some unexpected positive consequences of this. Yes. This is, uh, if you listen to your conspiracy friends, who I bet you didn't even know you had so many <laughs> until now, <laughs> you know, this is end times, right? This is it, man. Bill Gates is going to come to all of our houses and and whatever. It's It's crazy. If you listen to primarily in my, in my circle of friends, it's the, um, it's like the new age set. Mm. They're talking about how this is a whole consciousness reset. And, and I think it's, I do think it's going to be, I, I'm going to stay away from such new agey words myself. I just, for me, that doesn't work. But I do think that we are being required or at least given the opportunity to recalibrate how we think about some fundamental things, yeah. you know, and uh, the the post agrarian school model is kind of like it might be a little bit outdated. Now, why are we taking summers off? Uh, my kids never had to work the fields, and that's a whole reason that they <laughs> <laughs> bring the crops in. Right, and and for that matter, if your kids do work the fields, that's wonderful. Let's let them have a school system that works around that. You know what I mean? Exactly. Like, yeah. But you make a great point. It's like with the, all the kids in the United States and, and largely in the world, they don't go out and work the fields. <laughs> you know, it's like and that, the you know the retention loss of education over the three months or two months of the summer. Yeah, just, yeah, yeah. Year-round schooling is another. I'm a big proponent of that. We did that mm -hmm. when I was school because what are we going to do with two months off? Why? Yeah, yeah. Not very efficient. So optimistic level-headed or pessimistic about what happens next? Well, I can't speak for the public schools. They are no. yeah. broken. And um, unfortunately, they don't pivot very well. The public school in our area, the ISD that I live in and uh -huh. my children would be in, are still not up and running. They've mm -hmm. crashed their platform twice. So nobody in my area, none of the kids are getting educated right now. So wow. I posted a, a big, long, probably too long of a post talking about the benefits right now, you know, we could be so far ahead. Our children could be in things that we we've not touched. We've touched about it on this call, but things that, that really could be very advantageous right now. And I think there's some things for me that I'm going to leave in this coronavirus era. I'm not bringing into my new normal because when I have time now to reflect and really look at what's serving me, what's serving my students, what's serving my teachers, some of the things we're doing are not. And I found myself to be very good at reflection and looking at, so why, you know, that, that whole story about taking the ends of the roast off. I know you know it. I won't bore you with that story. But we do things because others did it that way. When I took right. over school, yeah. I inherited some staff members and I had an opportunity to question why they did things that they did. And if they couldn't yeah. give me a good answer, we stopped doing them. Yeah. Right? yeah. So being, you know, one of the best examples was I have public school teachers. That's where they've come from. Yeah. And in public school, you all go to the bathroom at the same time. It's just the way it works. Well, that's great when you have 20 stalls, right? Right. Yeah. Two, two stalls. Yeah. 
So they were lining up and when were they getting in trouble? Well, lining up to go to the bathroom because they're poking it. And I said, hey, novel idea. What if we taught the kids our expectations on how they use the restroom and we let them go when they have to use it? Yeah. Wow. So that that changed the whole model. And it all I did was to look at it with different eyes. And yeah. so stepping out of a situation and looking at it as if it was for the first time is what I hope educators will do right now and really dissect what's working, what do we want at the end of the educational block, whether it's middle school, elementary school, what what's the, the skills are gonna need for the next step. We go so far as to interview our parents in September of our fifth graders to find out what the next step is for their child. If their child is going to public school, that's a different skill set than if they're gonna stay in our system um, and go to this, the feeder school for us, or if they're gonna go to a private school or a homeschooled. And once I'm aware of that, I can detail a plan specifically for their child so that the next level they're ready to step into and, and flourish there also. So I think being able to look at this as an opportunity to, yeah. to really evaluate what we want and to talk to the people that are going to be hiring them in five, 10 years. It's crazy. We don't even know what kind of jobs they're going to be doing when they get out. That That is, it's almost as though there's a continuum between putting your head in the sand as a parent about that very thing mm -hmm. over to, again, sort of like, just, you know, like, like having ready hit hand platitudes about it. But so few parents are really thinking, all you have to do is look at the infallibility of the Moore's law curve of all things, right? Moore's law says that, uh, it's not Moore's law. It's it's a uh, it's the the technology growth curve. Okay. So anyway, every everything um, moves in a predictable curve in its improvement, and that means in the case of technology, how rapidly it's changing. Right. It took us from the first computer to now to get to cell phones, but it's not going to stay at a straight line of improvement, right? It hits a it hits an inflection point where it starts to go straight up and we're in that inflection point now. Nobody disagrees with this who knows anything. Right. So that means that in the very literal way for you parents out there, you've got to be prepared for something you can't be prepared for, which is what is the world going to look like when your kids enter the workforce or in maybe it's not even enter the workforce. We don't even know, right? So that's how that's how far ahead we need to be thinking. Mm -hmm. And the only thing we can really um, responsibly sort of, I mean, we should all have a foundation of math, science, humanities, things like that. That's that's just a well-rounded human. Right. But beyond that, it's going to be collaboration. It's going to be soft skills. It's going to be, those are the only things we can say for sure are going to be relevant. Yeah. And yeah. they're not being taught. Like, And they're not being taught. Thinking and problem solving and connection and creativity. And we do. <laughs> we yeah. do by design. I mean, we, we put it right into our curriculum. And I think it's because of what we know that we don't know is coming. Right. Yeah. Look at what are the basic skills. And, you know, we concentrate on reading, writing, and arithmetic. And then, as I mentioned, mm -hmm. social studies, man, if you can learn then you can learn anything. But if you don't know how to learn, you can't learn anything. And so that, that I think is it right there. That So that's really nice because that sort of distills down the difference between your approach and the public school approach. 
We, and I just want to say this in support of your, of that point. Um, uh, Our daughter goes to um, a little charter school that has this tremendous success rate with college placement. And, and it's, it's harder to get straight B's at her school than it is to get straight A's at her best friend's school. Much harder. Right. Mm -hmm. And I remember when she went into this school, her mom, from the day we met, she was like, she had this plan that she wasn't going to let her daughter go to just regular public schools. Um, And so when she went into this college prep school, she really struggled with the ambiguity at first, right? The, the, the part that is built in uh, similar to, to your school, to Shady Oak, the part that is built in where it's like, you have to step up and take accountability you got to reach out to your partner there and make a plan to, to solve this problem, that kind of thing. And so little by little, without ever really realizing it, she's learning social skills. She's learning uh, problem solving in a group skills. She's learning, she's learning these abstract ideas that really are sort of the glue that holds humans together right. after school. Right. Yeah. Even like ethical persuasion. Ethical no, persuasion. And, and as you know, I'm a fan. (laughs) You know, we kind of teach our students that you can have anything you want, provided you don't interrupt somebody else's ability to get what they want. And I think that then leads back to what do you want? And we have a lot of conversation about that clarity because most people I meet only know what they don't want. Right. I don't relate. I don't want to be fat. What do you want? Oh, I, don't, I don't really know. <laughs> and that, again, circling back to self-awareness, which has been a driving force in what I do for yeah. many, many years. And I think yeah. that, um, you know, when I had my after-school franchise, what I learned is that the students from public school, and that's who we served, were being sent to me with go home and study, or, but nobody taught them how to study. I built right. a whole business. Right on that skill itself and teaching mm-hmm. students note-taking strategies, test prep, all of that that was always assumed, but just almost like osmosis, the same thing, right? So I would talk to students that would come to my center. I'd be like, so walk me through how you study. Well, I read over my notes. I said, oh, you must have misunderstood the question. How do you study? <laughs> but that was 99 out of 100 kids told me that answer every yeah. single time. They didn't know. And they didn't know that six hours of studying didn't relate necessarily to a hundred. If you didn't put the information in the right part of your brain, right? right? If you couldn't right. access it. Um, I always explain to my daughters, it's like you have a secretary up there. She's not very good. Mm-hmm. Right. And you get a teacher to build better files. So when you put information in, you can retrieve it. And that's the big deal. It's one thing to dump it all in there, but if you don't know where you put it, then uh, it is of no use to you. So right. retrieval is important. Yeah, very important. Um, will you come back? Absolutely. Yeah, I just feel like there's so much more to talk about here. Um, and I mean, we are we are just about at the hour. I'm not. I don't have a problem going past an hour. I just feel like um, just a whole nother part two is is actually a better way to go. So, so you're optimistic. I am. Even though we may go through a, you know, I mean, any kind of shift in perception at a, at a, at a group level always requires a first. Mm-hmm. It does. And, and so. We've had so, a disruptor. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Disruption is seldom comfortable. Right. Right. Yeah. Agreed. Um, I, I want to, I mean, I knew it was going to be good, Debbie. It was so great 
to just sort of unpack these things with you. Thank you so much. Thank you. Um, Thank you. We'll stay on the line. We'll schedule you for the next one. I want to just right. get right to that. Okay. Okay. Thanks so much. That's it for us today, guys. If you didn't get some out of this, if you didn't enjoy this, then maybe you lack soft skills and critical thinking. (laughs) (laughs) Thanks for tuning into this episode of the Manny Wolf Show. If you know someone that you'd love to have me interview, please go to my website at mannywolf.com. That's M-A-N-N-Y-W-O-L-F-E.com and submit them as a potential guest. We love to bring guests on that our audience wants to hear from. So please help us to find the best guests for you by going to mannywolf.com and submitting anyone that you have in mind to be a great guest, including yourself. And if you'd like to know more about me and what I do, please come over to Facebook and join my group, simply called The Manny Wolf Group. If you'd like to get more into my world where we have all kinds of tips, trainings, valuable stuff for you to help you get better at growing your brand and your audience, please come and join The Manny Wolf Group on Facebook. Until our next episode, I'll see you.